is biologically cohesive because the spike protein on the ball of the virus is the same protein that's in the human body after vaccination. So whether or not someone's been exposed to it for the respiratory illness or whether or not someone's taken the vaccine, they now are exposed to the spike protein. What do we know about this? Uh, in a paper by Avolio and colleagues, it's clear the spike protein does damage the heart through pericytes. I think it's unequivocal. The US FDA, all the other regulatory bodies have warnings. Pfizer and Moderna cause myocarditis. I think everybody should understand this. Myocarditis is heart injury. I've seen it. I've reported it to the CDC. I've had CDC officers call me and verify it. This syndrome is not mild because it requires hospitalization. We have a situation where bioethics is off the rails. Parental rights are now taken away and children are going to be faced with a potentially fatal decision. We've never seen this ever in human history. I told you about the spike protein in myocarditis, neurologic injury, immunologic injury. There is a spike protein induced disease, Alex, that occurs about two weeks after the vaccine. It's called vaccine induced thrombocytopenic purpurea, VITT. It has its own acronym now in medicine. It, there's bleeding from the gums and mouth. There's a hemolytic anemia, blood in the urine. Uh, uh, patients go into renal failure. They develop thrombosis at the same time. It can be fatal. It's very serious. The two chairmen of the FDA uh, go, Scott Gottlieb, who's my contemporary, a little bit younger, he's actually on the board of Pfizer and he's advising America on MSNBC uh, and, uh, to, uh, about vaccines. He's on the board of Pfizer. Uh, Stephen Hahn, the one who followed him, he actually joined the investment capital firm that is behind Moderna. You have Rick Bright, the person who blocked hydroxychloroquine stores uh, in the White House as Peter Navarro was trying to free them. Rick Bright joins the Rockefeller Foundation. The conflict of interest is in the open. The NIH co-owns the patent for the Moderna. The conflict of interest is in the open. The censorship is in the open. The Trusted News Initiative announced December 10th said it will only promote the vaccine and it'll do everything to squash vaccine hesitancy, including early treatment and anything on vaccine safe. Look at this type of letter I got from uh, this one, suspension or revocation of my license. Well, you know what? I am not giving information today. I'm not giving misinformation today. I'm giving you the data. And as a doctor, you're gonna decide the data. This looks like a kangaroo court if I've ever seen one. Who's gonna decide, really? You know what I, you know what I think? I just recertified for the fourth time in medicine. I'll tell you what, what I tell them is, Bring it on. I want to talk to him about this. I want to talk to him about it. Okay. This hunting of American doctors is, is going to stop and we're going to put a stop to it. But we're only going to put a stop to it, not by ducking, not by bobbing and weaving, not by hiding in the shadows. It's by assuming the authority that we have. This is very important. We have authority as physicians, as the most highly educated, trained, and vetted people in American society. We have authority. And we have the authority to go public and give our analyses and presentation of the data. We have the authority to do that. And I will not stop. I tell you, I've probably I've had uh, close to 500 media uh, presentations, maybe a thousand. And I don't care because people are asking my opinion. I don't ask to go on these shows. I don't get I don't ask, like, can I go to, you know, be on somebody's TV show? They're asking my opinion and I have given it. OK, I have given it. And I have the right to give it, and you have the right to give it, and we have the right to our opinions. And it cannot be 
stopped. It's really important. And there's a lot of he there's a lot of heroes involved. The heroes are not just the doctors. The heroes are the media people. The he the, I've met a lot of media people right now who are taking risks. They're not doctors, but they know something is wrong. They know this is a treatable illness. They know the vaccine program's going bad, and they know that we should take some action. Dr. Peter McCullough is in studio with us till basically the uh, middle of the next hour, and then he's on an airplane to another uh, event where he's been speaking to crowds as big as 5,000 people every few days. He, he was telling me during the break when he got here, amazing global awakening, a rediscovery of science. Uh, they say that uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, certainly it's a necessity now for folks to understand what's happening and get informed uh, and not just believe Fauci or it could be lethal. So he joins us. AmericaOutloud.com forward slash the dash McCullough dash report. And he's also written the uh, large portions of the new book that's number one on Amazon Medical, COVID-19 and the Global Predators. We are the prey with introductions by Peter A. McCullough, MD, MPH, Elizabeth Lee Villet, MD, Vladimir Zevzelenko, MD, and of course, Peter R. Bregan, uh, MD, Ginger Ross Bregan as well, and now one of the top best-selling books in the country. I remember when they were on a few months ago with us, it was just in pre-sales. So very, very exciting to see that awakening. So much to cover, Doc. So I'm going to try to really give you the floor here as much as possible. I, I asked you, what's one thing you want to get to first? And that's this huge news, persistence of spike protein in human body after COVID-19 respiratory infection and the vaccine causing acute and chronic illnesses. Thank you for being here, sir. Well, thanks for having me. Please, can, please take over. Well, we were stunned. Uh, I think the whole medical community was stunned by a paper in preprint. First author is Bruce Patterson. And Dr. Patterson is a brilliant uh, molecular biologist. He also has uh, his uh, molecular biology uh, investment interest in companies working on in vitro diagnostics. But very importantly, what he demonstrated in CD16 human monocytes that after the respiratory infection, SARS-CoV-2, the virus, COVID-19, the infection, after the respiratory infection, and patients sick enough to be in the hospital, and remember, Alex, last time I was on, you had COVID-19 yourself. I've had it. What Dr. Patterson showed is that the S1 segment of the spike protein, remember, the, the virus is a ball. The spines on the ball are the spike protein. That's where all the damage is done by the spike protein to the human body, that the S1 segment, the outer segment, persists in human monocytes for 15 months after the respiratory infection. And in layman's terms, this is a big development. We get infections. All, everybody listening has had an infection in one time or another, a cold, a bacterial infection. I can tell you, I can't think of any remnant of a virus that is so dangerous that stays in the human body for 15 months. No wonder people have long COVID syndrome. It's now known uh, in autopsy studies and other analyses that uh, the spike protein goes everywhere in the human body. It goes into the brain, it goes into the heart, it goes into other critical organs, it's been identified in the kidneys. The Chinese have found uh, the virus itself and the spike protein in all kinds of body secretions, in urogenital and respiratory uh, secretions. And we now infer, because the vaccines all code for the original spike protein, this is the Wuhan spike protein, the 1200 amino acid, a, a, a protein that's the spike that's on the spine of the virus. This is the protein, Alex, that we know causes organ damage. It causes uh, endothelial and blood vessel damage and causes blood clotting. This spike protein is coded by 
the adenoviral, which is Johnson & Johnson, encoded by the messenger RNA, which is Pfizer and Moderna. The spike protein is coded by these uh, genetic platforms. Uh, these platforms uh, go into the human body after each injection, form a mosaic of cells in the human body that produce the spike protein in uncontrolled conditions for an uncontrolled duration of time. And because the antibodies that are generated to the spike protein are far higher and greater than the, of the natural infection, I infer as a scientist that in fact the spike protein exposure after a, a vaccine injection is greater than that the respiratory illness. So what I'm telling your listeners is we now know for the first time, and this is breaking news, that after vaccination, the spike protein is likely after each injection to persist for probably more than a year. You can imagine, Alex, with injection number one and then injection number two a month later. Now in immunocompromise, it's suggested a, in, uh, injection number three another month later and then a booster at six months. It will become impossible for the human body to clear out the spike protein. They're creating a permanent infection. They're colonizing the body. It's, you know, it's, I'm not sure if it's an infection or if right now at this point in time it's best to characterize that it's in a permanent install of an inflammatory damaging protein in the human body. Wow, it's funny. Bill Gates said almost two years ago when this first all started that there'd be multiple shots and boosters like he just knew all about this. And the worst thing he'd want to do was give it over and over again. And it just seems to really be premeditated, doctor. People have been focusing on the genetics. So the adenoviral or the messenger RNA. I can tell you, I think the focus really ought to swing to the spike protein. This spike protein, we know, two segments, S1, the outer, S2, the inner. The, what the connector is the furin cleavage joint. The furin cleavage joint was the target of gain-of-function research done in the Wuhan uh, Virology Institute. This is where the action was. This was between the Chinese. They needed the intellectual capital from the United States. The National Institute of Health had uh, approved grants. Uh, the grants weren't so much about the money, Alex. The grants were really about the intellectual property and the ability to actually create a, a, a spike protein that would fit in a locking key in the human ACE receptor, then be cleaved, and then allow the virus to move internally. The gain-of-function research allowed the virus to invade the human body. Wow. Um, that, that's, that's a lot, and we're going to go to break in a few minutes. I want you to come back, Dr. We can dispense with my pleasantries. I want you to recap that and take your time and then unpack what this means. Uh, because when you look at this, this is a premeditated scientific takeover, a premeditated scientific program. Uh, I mean, what you just explained is, is just incredible. Can, can you just repeat what you just said in the last minute again? What we now understand, and with, with great degrees of certainty, that with each injection of a vaccine, the human body becomes loaded with the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. That spike protein persists within cells and also the interstitial spaces between cells. And the human body then has the job of clearing out this foreign spike protein. And it takes a long time to clear out. Macrophages and mono, monocytes work to clear it out. The spike protein we know is disease causing. In fact, we know the spike protein itself in alone and by itself is fatal to the human body in the right person at the right time at the right dose. And obviously, you're a smart guy. You're a respected doctor. A lot of other respected doctors are assigned to saying what you're saying. Obviously, Big Pharma's not stupid. They, they knew what they were doing here. I mean, so, so really, just to take it to the next conclusion, this is premeditated. Or if they don't stop, it's premeditated now because now this is known. Either they knew or they should have known. 
that the spike protein exposure would be uncontrolled in terms of quantity and duration. That in alone by itself could be characterized and should be characterized as biologically reckless. Okay, so let's just start over. I want everybody to call their family, their friends, their neighbors. I mean, this is all coming out. It's in the papers. It, it's, it, it's known. It's confirmed now. And we'll go through the papers. We'll go through the evidence. Put it all on screen for TV viewers, radio listeners. We'll post it in the live show feed, the, the different studies. I mean, this is total proof that this is a death sentence for a large portion of those that ended up getting loaded up with these poisons. And then it's going to kill them slowly so they can uh, deny the source. We're going to lay it all out in great detail and more straight ahead. Stay with us. Major studies are now out by top scientists confirming some incredible information. And I'm blessed to have Dr. Peter McCullough here in studio with us right now to recap and spend more time slowly going through what he just said and what he laid out. And it's not just his studies. It's not just the anecdotal proof that we also see in our daily lives. We have all the news of the heart attacks and the myocarditis and the record hospitals for real being filled with the vaccinated who are dying of what would be described as ADE and myocarditis and, and all the rest of it. But we'll get to that next hour with him. He's going to be here most of the next hour as well, very graciously, before he goes and catches a plane today here in Austin. So, so I want you to start in this segment the next to, to have plenty of time to start over and just recap what you said, and then in layman's terms, explain it to everybody. What we're talking about, Alex, is biologically plausible evidence. Is it biologically plausible that the vaccines, by taking over the body's genetics and producing the spike protein, is it biologically plausible that the vaccines themselves could cause damage to the human body? Without looking at any of the outcomes data now and just talking about the biology of what happens, the human body uh, gets an injection of an adenoviral DNA, Johnson Johnson, or messenger RNA, Pfizer Moderna, in the human deltoid. The injection goes in. They are lipid nanoparticles. We now know that it doesn't stay in the arm. It's now well accepted that the lipid nanoparticles begin to travel in the body. And because they are lipid, they go to lipophilic organs, the organs that himself have lipids in it, the brain the adrenal glands, the, um, uh, the human uh, ovaries and testes. It's now known and it's been found that, in fact, they go to the heart. Uh, they go to other vital organs. We've never had a vaccine, Alex, that actually gets distributed widely to critical organs in the body. That's the first uh, very, very disturbing understanding. The second piece is that what happens? The vaccines then install genetic code, a code that that it basically gives the uh, direction to harness the human body's cellular machinery to produce the spike protein uh, of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Now, the virus is a ball. That's the nucleocapsid. The spines that are all over the virus, those are the spike proteins. The spike protein is 1,200 amino acids. It has about a dozen glycosylation attachments to it. It has some code written into it that is homologous to HIV, Alex. A lot of people don't know this, but the, the spike protein has been heavily manipulated in the Wuhan virology lab. And so we now understand that this spike protein is produced in human cells. That's very abnormal. We've never asked human cells ever to produce a 
or in protein. We're now asking human cells to do this it, it basically as a command of taking the vaccine. Once the spike protein is produced, it's expressed in cells. It's actually in the, what's called the rough endoreticulum uh, 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 endo, uh, uh, in the human cells. And it is produced there. The spike protein is expressed on cell surfaces. The body's own immune system begins to attack its own cells. And to make matters worse, Alex, the spike protein breaks off and then it distributes widely in plasma. And in a paper by Ogata and colleagues from Harvard, they were able to measure the spike protein in human plasma in volunteers who took the vaccine for two weeks after the first injection. After the second injection, it was uh, not measurable in plasma anymore, probably because the antibodies started to, to uh, uh, increase in quantity in plasma and, and, and bind them. But the fact that we had widely disseminated spike protein for two weeks means that that is just as bad or worse than having the respiratory infection alone. You had it, I had it with early treatment. We can actually cut down the infectivity period with early treatment down to four days. The vaccine is causing a run in the human body for two full weeks of the dangerous Wuhan spike protein. And again, I, I'm not a scientist and a doctor like you, but I can read all these reports and, and, and we see even headlines out of the UK admitting that the hospitals are, quote, filled with a double jab with mystery illnesses. And they run the gambit of everything I saw listed last October in that CDC FDA warning letter that was internal where they said possible adverse reactions and it reads like a laundry list of exactly what happened so you've discovered this you you predicted it you, you've reported it, now it's all confirmed but they knew this before as well so how did they know before they even started the inoculation they knew or they should have known that we you know the chinese were helping us they were helping us study the respiratory illness the respiratory illness closely maps with the post-vaccine syndromes these are almost uh, uh, superimposable because of the fact that the spike protein causes the damage in the respiratory illness, just like the spike protein causes damage post-vaccination. So we have common pathophysiology. For example, uh, with the respiratory illness, there can be some heart damage. Now, it's not myocarditis. It's been carefully shown. A recent report by jo Joy and colleagues in the JACC Imaging, that's a cardiology journal in my field, has shown that with the respiratory illness like you and I had, that the, uh, the uh, heart, not myocarditis, but in a sense cardiac injury pattern that can happen is basically negligible or doesn't exist. So Joy has basically shown that we don't have a concern with respiratory illness or the type of myocarditis we're seeing with the vaccines. With the vaccines, in June, the FDA and CDC broke the news that they had a universe of 600 cases of myocarditis that met a pretty strict definition and then 200 cases that they really could review. And what we learned there is the myocarditis is explosive, Alex. When I mean explosive, it means in younger individuals, uh, shot number one, then shot number two, bang. There is a, an expression of spike protein in heart muscle cells, actually in a paper by Avolio and colleagues has shown it's in the pericytes. It's in the support cells in the heart around uh, microcapillaries and around the cardiomyocytes where there's an expression of spike protein, the body then attacks its own heart muscle cells and causes significant damage. We're seeing young people come in with chest pain, signs and symptoms of heart failure uh, with uh, massive elevations in cardiac troponin. Anybody who's been in the hospital with a heart attack knows 
The cardiac troponin is the blood test for cardiac injury. The typical troponin elevation uh, on a relative unit scale for a heart attack, let's say, would be one, two, and three. We're seeing elevations in troponin, these young people after vaccination, of cardiac troponins of 50 to 100. It is a massive uh, increase. Dramatic ST segment elevation, signs and symptoms of heart failure, abnormal echocardiography. And you're a heart doctor, but for people that aren't, explain. That sounds like what you're saying is like a heart attack test. They're basically giving them a chemical test and finding the enzymes of a heart that's really had problems. That's right. And, and let me tell you, the two things that the CDC and FDA said in June that I will tell you as a senior scientist and clinician uh, in the academic field that I would qualify as both being uh, irresponsible and, and completely reckless. They said two things, Alex. They said in these young people, these 200 kids, they said that it was both uh, uh, mild and they said it was going to be um, very rare. Both of those things are couldn't be farther from the truth. They had 200 cases at that point in time. I was on national TV. I said, listen, I am a data, data safety expert. I run data safety monitoring boards. I know what I'm talking about. When we talk about safety data, we never say the word rare because we don't check everybody for it. And so at that point in time, the correct word to use or phrase is tip of the iceberg. When they had 200 cases in June, the CDC and FDA should have told America, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And you know how many cases we have now? Over 10,000. 200 to over 10,000. I was right. It wasn't rare. And that 10,000 is probably just the tip of the iceberg from other doctors I've talked to. That's why back during the, the swine flu vaccine killed a few people, they stopped it saying no, tip of the iceberg. But now we have, you know, what is almost 20,000 in the mirror's report dead, hundreds of thousands sick, 800,000 or so. And they're saying that's just the tip of the iceberg. And, and this time they're just, the, the, the FDA, all of them are just ignoring all this. Well, they also said mild. They, they basically said to American parents for their children, this was mild. I told you it's not rare. And now what's take on mild? Do you know the CDC and FDA in June of the 200 cases they looked at, 90% were in the hospital. Alex, you know what it takes to put a 15-year-old in the hospital? A lot. Okay. So the bottom line is Dr. now. Dr. Peter McCullough, stay, stay right there. You're a heart expert. You're here. You've run diagnostic studies. Couldn't be a better expert to talk about this. I got a lot of questions. You've got a lot to say. This is so important. Everybody you know, folks, tune in now and later. Share this archive from Bandai Video. Dr. Peter McCullough, who is a major research scientist and a heart doctor, is with us. And very exciting things are coming up very, very soon with the audiences uh, that this man's going to be speaking to. But he's uh, extremely honored. He told me to be here talking to all of you great people, and he hopes you will research everything he says. He's going to give you citations as well. And then once we're not live, we're going to archive this uh, to band.video, and we will endeavor under it to uh, add some of the links to papers uh, that he's going to be citing so that you can see this for yourself and then warn others and don't let the system gaslight you and say, oh, that's just made up. You're not a scientist. What do you know? So uh, look, so you want to get back into microcarditis. You want to get back into a lot of other areas. And, and But then you were also during the break explaining to me that the virus and the vaccine are basically biologically what they're doing in the body is the same thing, which we now see manifested. But I was also telling you just as a historian, a lay historian, but as someone that loves history and has also been politically engaged heavily for 28 years, I see big rollouts happening and I see big corporations and the UN involved and I, I see censorship up front. And I witnessed them saying up front, oh, you'll need lots of boosters and then the vaccine doesn't work. It, it, it hurts the immune system. It causes all these illnesses. And now we know it basically causes what the supposed virus did. And that's the perfect plan. You bring out a 
vaccine that's not really a vaccine, then you know that when you create a quote vaccine for that, it's actually going to create this matrix in the body that, that this poisonous protein that takes over that's linked to cancer and heart attacks and, my, and everything else. And then all these experts predict it before it even happens. And then the shots begin and it happens just as bad as the worst predictions. And it's just like otherworldly nightmare. I'm saying this is obviously a premeditated operation. I said that 21 months ago. And now we know it's out of Wuhan. We know Bill Gates is involved. We know the Chicoms are involved. I mean, we know the UN is quarterbacking it. We know the UN's calling for world government controls now to, to, to handle the COVID crisis. Now they're telling us it's here forever. Uh, and, and the very same groups have told us they want to depopulate us. I know as a scientist, as a doctor, you don't like to speculate. I'm just saying I'm somebody that can add two plus two and equals four. And this looks like a total bioweapon you know, globalist rollout program to me. It's biologically cohesive because the spike protein on the ball of the virus is the same protein that's in the human body after vaccination. So whether or not someone's been exposed to it for the respiratory illness or whether or not someone's taken the vaccine, they now are exposed to the spike protein. What do we know about this? Uh, in a paper by Avolio and colleagues, it's clear the spike protein does damage the heart through pericytes. I think it's unequivocal. The U.S. FDA, all the other regulatory bodies have warnings. Pfizer and Moderna cause myocarditis. I think everybody should understand this. Myocarditis is heart injury. I've seen it. I've reported it to the CDC. I've had CDC officers call me and verify it. This syndrome is not mild because it requires hospitalization. By regulatory definition, it's a serious adverse event. It's an SAE. So myocarditis is not mild. I think every parent needs to hear this. The second thing is myocarditis is not rare. It is not rare. We have over 10,000 cases and we haven't even started vaccinating the young children. I can't imagine how many more cases of heart damage are going to occur. Let me tell you what happens after the kids are hospitalized. They have to be uh, observed. When there's early signs and symptoms of heart failure, we actually have to give heart failure prevention medicines and then monitor them with a never-ending never story for the parents is, is the heart going to recover or it's not? And then the children can have no physical activity. They have to be on heart failure medications, a subset of them, and they have to be monitored. And then we ultimately have to get to resolution. When I mean resolution, the blood tests have to clear up, the EKG has to clear up, and the imaging has to return to normal when we can actually start to wind down these drugs. I can't imagine we're at 10,000, Alex, I can't imagine getting many tens of thousands of young American and young children worldwide with this problem, all induced by a vaccine that's not clinically indicated and it's not medically necessary. Do you know that the deaths that have occurred in COVID-19 in children is roughly the same number that occur annually with influenza because there are children at risk. Sadly, there are kids with, uh, with um, uh, uh, various congenital conditions, with um, uh, cystic fibrosis, other pulmonary conditions where they can be overwhelmed by a viral infection. Comorbidities. Yeah, but by and large, COVID-19 is very mild. And in the registrational data that the FDA just looked at, two occasions now, age 5 to 11 and age 12 to, to 17, there are no serious cases in the clinical trials. It's nothing more than a drippy nose in children. The vaccine, we don't vaccinate people to prevent a drippy nose. Linus Pauling said that years ago, don't vaccinate against the common cold. There's no clinical benefit of vaccinating children. And at this point in time, in a sense, it's just being levered at the children. Uh, Dan Ball had data on OAN the other day survey. 27% of Americans uh, American parents have said they're going to vaccinate their children. I'm telling you, as a doctor, as a concerned doctor, that's 27% too many.
Doctor, I remember back when I was a child, they don't really put it on TV anymore, but on PBS, they would show Nazi films of people being marched into pits and shot. They would they would show black and white footage of the actual death camps. And I would sit there. My parents let me watch it. They wanted me to know history. And I was interested, you know, in uh, that's what I watched as a child was not really cartoons. I, I liked PBS and documentaries and you know Shakespearean films. That's that stuff I was into was adult content. But but now I have the same feelings watching these children be injected, knowing large percentage of them are going to have problems. I, I showed an NIH article on their site yesterday, and I want you to give me your take on it. And it said that between 26 and 53 percent, those 56% of children that develop moderate uh, microcarditis will end up dying within three to 10 years. That was the, that was the, the headline. That was on the article. Now, now I don't know if the NIH is accurate. They were saying that. And so they're saying, oh, it's no big deal if your child gets myocarditis. Is it true that uh, between 23 and 56% uh, that get myocarditis end up dying? There are many forms of myocarditis. It's rare. Let me tell you, in my career, I've seen a handful of cases. The worst type is called giant cell myocarditis, which can be fatal within about six months. We, you know, there's parvovirus, uh, adenoviral uh, types of myocarditis. They're rare. This one appears to be, A, it's common, and it's by direct injection. It looks like it's directly active there in the heart. All the data are coming in. Everything we've learned about the vaccines since the release, unfortunately, Alex, is bad. We have one paper after another. There's one shoe to drop after another learning about damage to the heart. Tracy Hogue, University of California at Davis, analysis uh, late summer, uh, published it. It's in preprint form. She has used the VAERS and VSAFE data. This is a very high-quality paper. We are in thousands of cases now, 86% still requiring hospitalization. There doesn't appear to be any way of managing myocarditis as an outpatient, 86% requiring hospitalization. What Hogue showed, Alex, is a child ages 12 to 17 is more likely to be hospitalized with myocarditis than taking your chances with COVID and the very rare chance of actually getting hospitalized due to COVID-19 as a child. And that doesn't assume that the child gets any treatment. And we know that we can easily treat COVID-19 in children with azithromycin, budesonide, oral prednisone, limited dose uh, adjusted aspirin. We have ways of managing COVID-19. And so the $64 trillion question is why is Biden mandating it now outside of law? They're not just saying, oh, children five and up can have it. Places like San Francisco are saying you will have it or you can't go to the grocery store or you can't go to a hamburger place. You can't go to school. I mean, this is like a science fiction dystopic nightmare where they're not just coming at adults with this thing now. They're going after the children. It's like a weird leftist sacrament to do this to the children. And then how the hell are they going to cover up all the deaths and heart attacks? This just seems like they're trying to cause a civil war, doctor. The FDA makes the determination on the emergency use authorization, and then the CDC makes the implementation recommendations. On two occasions now in September and now in October, the CDC and FDA have heard formal presentations of the Hogue analysis. That's a bad trade-off. More hospitalizations with myocarditis than COVID-19 hospitalizations avoided with the vaccine. And then now the Kostoff analysis published in Toxicology Reports, Ron Kostoff, multi-author paper, has shown at all age groups, one is more likely to die after the COVID-19 vaccine than taking your chances with COVID-19 and ending up in the hospital. And they know that. And so why the hell would they be doing this? The fear, the contagion of fear that one individual would, in fact, uh, spread the virus to another has basically been 
this uh, uh, divisive and now devouring uh, mass psychosis that we're in. There are parents that are truly afraid of their children. They are afraid their children are going to give them COVID-19. And they're keeping them hostage in the house for years, bragging that until their child gets the injection, they can't go outside. And the media is saying that's good. It's no longer abuse to keep a little girl for 20 months inside like this mother bragged on TikTok. Now it's a good thing to do. Doctor, stay right there. We're going to come back. We've got the whole next hour if you can stay and lay it all out. And you're also help work on the book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators. And we are the prey, Dr. Dr. Peter R. Brigham, MD, and uh, others help put this together with Dr. Peter A. McCullough, who is in studio with us now. I'm Alex Jones with Infowars.com and Newswars.com. Take the live feed and share it and take the archive for Bandai video of this and share it and save lives. We'll be right back. The UN, the communist Chinese, and all the leftists are getting power and control using this virus they cooked up in a lab and they give us a so-called vaccine. Now that does the exact same thing, except worse. Unbelievable. Dr. Peter McCullough is in studio with us, AmericaOutloud.com. You can find his show there. And I had them on months ago, and I said, I'm going to carry their book that you helped write, that you're in. So I'm going to call them today and make sure we order thousands of these. But it's already the number one medical bestseller on Amazon. We should push it to number one, just like Dr. Joseph Mercola's book did. That's excellent as well, COVID-19 and the Great Reset. This is COVID-19 and the Global predators we are the prey and, and we do uh, sell uh, COVID-19 and the global reset at infowarstore.com but we're going to be carrying this book but I don't care get it from Amazon get it from wherever just get it and get it out to people and we're going to again plug that again I know you, you didn't come here to plug but you did write something to me here you said Alex only the truth is censored and that's absolutely right it's why they had CNN driving around the parking lot today uh, it's why they've got local white supremacist groups out after me that work for the feds obviously but they tried to set us up for January 6th is because we're over the target and that's where we are today and, and and freedom is not free folks it's under attack and i mean just in general because we're going to go to break here in a moment come up with a longer segment doctor uh just just the tyranny the power grab they're using as a citizen how do you think other citizens should stand up against this because i don't want violence i think they're trying to push us into civil war coming after our children with these poisonous shots we have to break the fear i think the most important meme i've ever seen so far in COVID 19 is a woman who's holding her head in and in, in anguish and she says my vaccine doesn't work unless you take yours <laughs> absolutely so you can't underestimate how important the grip of fear is driving all the uh, uh, levers of the COVID-19 pandemic. Every single step of the way is one step of things getting worse. The way out of this pandemic is breaking our grip of fear. And I mean, I can see that just as a regular person. Explain that, Doc. Each phase, the virus is released. Then there's a vaccine makes you sicker. Now they tell you more deadly uh, bioweapons are coming. Give up all your rights. We need a global UN system, Gates said, to surveil everyone in live time to make sure new viruses don't get us. I mean, really, it's just a global technocracy takeover, world ID, using the fear of viruses that they released as the pretext for control. Listen, I'm seeing patients every day in my practice. I can tell you last year it was fear of the respiratory illness. This year is fear of the vaccines. It's fear of what's going to happen after taking a vaccine. Now, granted, you know, 180 million people took the vaccine. Nothing happened. They're fine. We wish them well. But a large number of people have been injured. Over 800,000 people reported injured to the VA ARS system. People are terrified of taking the vaccines. The rates of vaccination in the United States plummeted in mid-April when the word got out that they could die after vaccination. And now people are fearful of losing their job and losing their economies.
And again, no long-term studies, just as the British Medical Journal came out to the U.S. Senate testified three days ago. They said, they said they claim the data say it's safe. The way they did it, there's no real data on the actual rollout of it. Explain that, how that works. Well, I can tell you, I think we heard one of the most irresponsible and reckless statements in all of medical history when Dr. Rubin, editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, I'm an editor myself, so I'm going to call him out on this. When he said, as part of the advisory committee, the only way we'll know if the products are safe is just to go ahead and use them in our small children. Uh, guys, you're always, and gals back there, please pull up, I don't want to misgender, please pull up that clip of the uh, FDA a board member a few weeks ago saying, we're never going to learn what this does until we give it to kids. That's, that is crazy town. Historians will write and bioethicists will write how we are absolutely trampling all principles of protection of human subjects. All the vaccines are in research. None of them have, are sufficiently safe or effective enough to be fully approved. Everyone knows this. They are investigational, and we are trampling upon our cornerstones of bioethics. Marie Antoinette, it turns out, did not say when everybody was starving and they said, open up the granary, feed them, or they're going to storm the Bastille. She didn't really say, let them eat cake, historically. But... Dr. Rubin really did say, we're not going to find out if this hurts the kids unless we give it to them. Wow. That's that's the FDA today because they had a bunch of other people resign. So they finally found board members that would do their bidding. We'll come back in 60 seconds with that clip. Tell everybody, you know, tune in now. This is historic stuff. You know, I've got family. So this is a selfish question. But I know listeners want to know this. I've got family that got uh, the Delta variant and it almost killed them. And this individual is very near and dear to me, one of the smartest people I've ever known, and they were extremely sharp until this happened. So they physically bounced back in a week, but still three, four months later, mentally, they'll tell you, uh, I mean, they, they, it really messed them up. And so many other people talk about what it does to the brain. And now we have studies, uh, Dr. McCullough, that are documenting what we could all anecdotally see. So can you speak to that briefly and then expand on Looking at the science, any research, is there a way to detox from the Pfizer or Moderna shots or from COVID-19 now that we know the spike protein stays in the body for a long time? You, you might want to recap that information and then and then please just go into that because I get a lot of questions from listeners about that. Let's, take, let's tackle the respiratory infection and what's called long COVID or long hauler syndrome. What we're talking about is we now understand that the spike protein on the on the virus and persist in the human body for over a year. This is a very important new piece of information just broken the last few months. This means that the spike protein almost certainly is in the brain, it's in the spinal cord, the peripheral nerves, the muscles, the heart, etc. And people feel fatigue, brain fog, cognitive decline, uh, uh, neuro and, and uh, sensory abnormalities. It's almost as if wherever the virus really has had a strong play, we see damage in the human body and it takes time to recover. There are no prospective randomized trials specifically in long hauler of therapies, but we're applying concepts of what we learn in the treatment of the acute syndrome to the long hauler syndrome. I'd point your viewers to the Frontline Critical Care Consortium, flcc.net. They have a protocol. It's called the iRecover protocol, and it lists some ideas. Now, these are not proven in randomized trials, but it lists some ideas. The principles are to antagonize the spike protein. Our lead drug that does that is ivermectin. And then the neurologic recovery and inflammation. One drug that's coming to the fore is fluvoxamine. Fluvoxamine now, most recently in Lancet, in the acute respiratory illness, 
was shown to actually have a positive impact on the severity of the disease. Fluvoxamine is a serotonin a norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. It's a drug that seems to have a play. There's two prior positive trials. We also use prednisone, a steroid that's an anti-inflammatory. And when there's any pleural pericardial involvement in the long hauler, I use colchicine supported by the Colcorona trial. As a scientist, as someone who's been very, very true to the medical literature, I want to see scientific support for the drugs used in combination. But I don't want to put patients off like your uh, uh, loved ones, Alex, by saying, listen, I'm going to wait for large randomized trials and guidelines to tell me what to do because those are over five years away. And I know it's the ivermectin word and they attack Joe Rogan for it. And you saw the whole Sanjay Gupta thing. Maybe you can speak to what you, your view on who won that debate. But now I've seen some of the uh, Merck and, and Pfizer and others are coming out with their own antiviral pills that, according to the news I saw, have some of the similar molecular properties of ivermectin. Uh, from your research and the papers out there, uh, what is the active mechanism in ivermectin? And, and, and what do we believe may be you know, causally helping people? I know we're not supposed to talk about that, but I know my dad immediately got better when he got on it. I immediately got better when I got on it. It was like five, six hours later, I felt 60, 70% better. It was incredible. Uh, I was also taking budesonide, so I couldn't tell which one of them it was or if it was both. But uh, what's happening with the ivermectin as best we can tell? The principles are we always use drugs in combination. I want everyone to understand that there's no single drug that's both necessary and sufficient to treat COVID-19. We use drugs to impair viral replication, treat the inflammation, and treat thrombosis. Then the blood of the aspirin, it's yeah, a it cocktail. Takes, it takes four to six drugs because it's a complicated fatal infection. HIV takes four to six drugs. So, of course, COVID is going to take four to six drugs. Ivermectin plays a special role. All the data, we have over 60 studies overall, over 30 randomized trials. Joe Rogan did school Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay Gupta is a graduate of University of Michigan. I went there in graduate school. Listen, he's a smart guy. But the bottom line is our media doctors and our public health officials are not contemporary with the data. We have over 30 randomized trials of ivermectin. It basically shows about a 70% reduction in mortality. It seems to work early in the pre-hospital phase clearly works in the hospital phase. You know, families are basically taking hospitals to court in order to get their loved ones ivermectin. It has at least three mechanisms of action. One, it impairs the entry of the virus into the human nucleus of the cell. It has an anti-spike protein property to it, which is incredibly useful. That's the reason why your symptoms uh, started to improve. And then lastly, it inhibits some kinases, some enzymes that participate in inflammation. It has three different mechanisms of action. No wonder ivermectin is so uh, important. Now, the new Merck drug, molpinavir, has a single mechanism of action. It actually works against the polymerase. That is a slow target. It's the same target as remdesivir. I would not put a lot of stock into the Merck drug mechanistically because it's going to play a role, minor role. The Japanese already have this a drug similar to that called favipiravir. The Russians and some states in India use it. It's not that impressive. So, obviously, they're smart guys over at Pfizer. I mean, hell, their former chief scientist went public warning of exactly this happening before anybody was injected a year and a half ago, Dr. Yidon. So they knew this, obviously. And, and so why the hell would they try to uh, suppress something like ivermectin? It's got to be more than just about money. I mean, I mean, to me, if you know that's helping people and you try to keep a treatment away from folks, that sounds like Joseph Mingala territory to me. You know, I sat on Tucker Carlson. That's probably the first interview where I, I came out and really gave this analysis. It looks from the very beginning 
that there was intentional suppression of early treatment of COVID-19. Of course, the virus is treatable with drugs. Of course, uh, there are druggable targets, and that's what Pfizer and Merck are coming around to now. But it was always treatable early. I told on national TV, Tucker Carlson, I told Tucker, I thought there was intentional suppression of early treatment in order to promote suffering, fear, loneliness, isolation, hospitalization, and death. And in that condition became the preparation for accepting a mass vaccination program. And then a world medical ID tied to the carbon tax ID. That's something officially announced by the Davis Group. You know, I can't confirm that, but I can tell you right now, there is lockstep in the world. Every single government is in lockstep with one another on mass vaccination as really the only solution to the pandemic. We've never seen anything like this before. And we have breaking data now that the vaccines are not stopping COVID-19. Well, right here in this building working now that he just retired out of the military is somebody that ran operations at the Pentagon. I mean, you know, high level operations, run major operations. And he couldn't get into classified stuff, but he said, no, this is all a big operation. It's a, and they're using military technology to roll out the fear. He told me this you know, you know, back on uh, January 6th, we were there. Look at this. Cloak and Dagger military intelligence outfit at center of U.S. digital vaccine passport push. Same thing. They're using Army intelligence, not just the general ones, the highest level PSYOP officers, psychologists, psychiatrists, behavioral psychologists, uh, to come out with this. Here's an example out of, out of all the newspapers in the UK. Here's a newspaper stand all on the same day saying, here's your vaccine passport. You must use it. That's 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 military government control. So 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 this is being done. It, it came out in Canada. Their their psyops are running it in Europe. NATO psyops are running it. This is the high level psyops, not our military, but the psyops of that literally using war programs of deception and lies and fear to, quote, terrorize us and brainwash us was the quotes out of Canada and the UK. Terrorize and brainwash the public. And then you see the results here. Total unification of the newspapers with the same message. The media has been propagandized. This is very important. Propaganda is false information put, put forward by those in position of authority. We've seen it time and time again. I remember in June, I was called on national TV. There was a government issued talking point of hospitalizations for COVID. And the talking point was that is a crisis of the unvaccinated. And it was a montage, Alex, of everyone parroting crisis of the unvaccinated. And we knew it wasn't farther from the truth. We had data through June from Havers and colleagues published by the CDC COVID Net Network and then Fillmore from the VA that at that time, 23% of Americans in the hospital COVID-19 were vaccinated. Fast forward now to August, first week in August, we have CMS data showing 60% of those over age 65 in the hospital with COVID-19 are fully vaccinated. And we have now the CDC on their website is telling America, CDC has 41,000 plus Full-blown vaccine failures. I'm talking about fully vaccinated. Doc, stay there. You wanted this last segment to get into the vaccine isn't working. We're going to come back. You'll have the floor. And uh, this is just amazing. All right. Stay with us, ladies and gentlemen. The book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators. We are the prey with introductions and leading COVID-19 physicians like Peter A. McCullough, MD, and others. Dr. Peter McCullough is in studio with us for two more segments. Then he's got to get in his car and get to the airport. Wow. Amazing. Powerful information here. Two segments left. You've got a lot you want to cover. You've got the floor, sir. It's very important that we've learned in the last few months 
that with the Delta pandemic, the Delta outbreak now, the virus has completely mutated now. 100% of the infections that we've seen are the Delta variant. The Delta has learned to thrive in the nose and mouth of those who are fully vaccinated. Our CDC director came out in midsummer after there was an outbreak on uh, in a wedding in Houston, an airplane flight from uh, from uh, Texas to Washington and to a naval cruise boat from the UK. It was clear that the Delta virus can thrive in the nose and, and mouth of the vaccinated. Now, two important papers, one from the Wisconsin Department of Public Health. First author is Rhymerisma, clearly showed among those vaccinated and unvaccinated, the viral loads, Alex, were heavy, heavy, meaning low cycle thresholds, high viral concentrations in the nose and mouth of those vaccinated and unvaccinated. It was actually equal between those two groups. They were the ones who came forward for testing with incipient COVID-19, and they actually extracted the secretions from those who were vaccinated and actually tested the infectivity, and they clearly were infectious. So I want everyone to understand this. Whether or not someone's taken the vaccine, they are not less infectious than someone who has not taken the vaccine. What, what about the statements we hear from, from Fauci that you're going to get less sick if you've uh, had the supposed vaccine, but then it wanes in six months? Is that even true? Because I see all these different numbers out there, some numbers out of the UK that you're more likely to be hospitalized if you've had the shot. Other numbers say, I mean, what's, what's real from your research? Well, here we are, you know, in the United States, we've had 60% of the population overall take the vaccine or one of the three vaccines. They're not the same, obviously. We've had 80% of seniors and we wish them well. We've had our family members, our patients and others have, have volunteered for the vaccine programs. They're all investigational. We wish them well. We had data published in the MMWR. First author is Self, and this is published by the CDC. That's the best data they ever have. Alex, they showed with the legacy variants, Earlier in the pandemic, we're talking about the wild type alpha, beta, a little bit of gamma, that in fact there was protection from a community estimates, from hospitalization with the vaccine program. And Moderna was, as I recall, about 90%. Pfizer was at 70%. J&J about 68%. You can look up that paper and get the exact percentages. Those aren't bad. Everything changed when the Delta outbreak occurred. What happened was once we got to enough people vaccinated, the, the dominant mutant moved forward that could thrive among the vaccinated. And that's when the floor started to fall out of the vaccine program. Israel and the UK are ahead of us. Now we're up to over 90% of those in Israel with COVID-19 are fully vaccinated. In fact, they're fully engaged in a booster program. It's obviously not working. In the UK, the 43rd UK surveillance report, you can look it up. They have between 80 and 92% of people over age 50 fully vaccinated. And in fact, the point estimate of those dying in the UK right now, Alex, with COVID-19, 81.8% of individuals are fully vaccinated. Wow. So when the head of the CDC two weeks ago said vaccine doesn't protect you basically at all, then she said yesterday, 96% protection of children. That's a lie. It's 96% of the syndrome of developing a drippy nose, which kids may or may not uh, uh, develop. Th th these are, in a sense, gross overestimates of benefit. What people care about is hospitalizations and death. And what the CDC is telling us on their website, October 18th, over 41,000 Americans fully vaccinated have either died or been hospitalized. Sadly, about, about a quarter of that fraction is, in fact, deaths. And over 80% of the deaths are in the seniors, and about 65% of the hospitalizations are in the seniors. Alex, COVID-19 has always been about the seniors. It's not about the children and the vaccines aren't protecting them.
Why are they going after the children when they know that it's increased uh, heart problems? I mean, why? I mean, th- th- I mean, if you wanted to be a villain, you would do something like this to to, to give them something that doesn't protect him, that statistically is going to hurt him, and then you just gaslight everybody and say it's going to protect him when it's not. You know, we have unprecedented times now. There are some states that have laid the groundwork to say a child down to 12 years old can make their own decision on a potentially fatal injection with one of these COVID-19 vaccines. We have the World Health That's getting rid of parental rights. We've had the World Health Organization come out with a statement saying that, in a sense, being enrolled in school is equivalent to actually giving informed consent for one of the vaccines. We have a situation where bioethics is off the rails. Parental rights are now taken away and children are going to be faced with a potentially fatal decision. We've never seen this ever in human history. And then they're telling children, you'll get superpowers when you take this. And then the sad little children are probably, if they're not lucky, just get a heart attack instead. Everything we know about the spike protein at this point in time is bad. I told you, since the, the this is an ongoing story month by month. I told you about the spike protein and myocarditis, neurologic injury, immunologic injury. There is a spike protein-induced disease, Alex, that occurs about two weeks after the vaccine. It's called vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic purpurea, VITT. It has its own acronym now in medicine. It, there's bleeding from the gums and mouth. There's a hemolytic anemia, blood in the urine. Uh, uh, patients go into renal failure. They develop thrombosis at the same time. It can be fatal. It's very serious. There was a young mother written up in her obituary in Oregon. You'll find her. She said in her obituary, she died two weeks after the vaccine due to vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic purpurea, VIT. And then Facebook censored it. You know, that's the sick part is Big Pharma is is heavily invested in big tech and vice versa. Total conflict of interest. I'm, I'm sure you've seen the graphs that, or, or the, the illustrations that show how the board of the FDA, the boards of the CDC, it's a revolving door with Pfizer and big pharma. I mean, this is incredible. It's in the open right now. Uh, you know, the two chairmen of the FDA uh, go, Scott Gottlieb, who's my contemporary, a little bit younger, he's actually on the board of Pfizer and he's advising America on MSNBC uh, and, uh, to uh, about vaccines. He's on the board of Pfizer. Uh, Stephen Hahn, the one who followed him, he actually joined the investment capital firm that is behind Moderna. You have Rick Bright, the person who blocked hydroxychloroquine stores uh, in the White House as Peter Navarro was trying to free them. Rick Bright joins the Rockefeller Foundation. The conflict of interest is in the open. The NIH co-owns the patent for the Moderna. The conflict of interest is in the open. The censorship is in the open. The Trusted News Initiative announced December 10th said it will only promote the vaccine and it'll do everything to squash vaccine hesitancy, including early treatment and anything on vaccine safety. All right, we've we got two minutes to break or a minute and a half, and then we're going to come back and hit a whole bunch of other topics. But uh, how do we reverse this? How do we stop this? Our leaders wake up, we wake up. What do we do? I personally think I'm looking at this very carefully. I think one or two shots and there's no side effects, no harm, no foul. The human body is amazingly resilient. You're ultimately going to get rid of this messenger RNA or adenoviral DNA. You're going to clear the spike protein. It'll take you a year or so and get out of this. One or two shots, no harm, no foul. I think the real line is the boosters. We cannot get entrained in every six-month boosters. We'll never get the spike protein out of the body. I was on Australian TV, interviewed recently. The Australians told me, They have pre-purchased 14 doses per person. We're talking every six months for seven years, Alex. It will be, I'm telling you as a doctor, 
This will lead to chronic disease in large numbers of individuals, no boosters. And I've told America on TV, uh, no individuals under age 30 at any time should have taken the vaccine. That means all the kids should be off the table. And again, Gates was saying 20 months ago that we're going to need these boosters. Uh, some articles said up to 10 a year. The Australians are saying, I guess, uh, several a year. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, death sentence. And they knew all this. Wow. And they're coming. You know, oh, get your vaccine passport. Well, now it's time for your booster. We'll be right back. Doc, I'm going to go back uh, tonight after you know, this interview is not live, after it's archived at Bandai Video. And I'm going to watch it again because all I do is study this stuff now. And, and, and everything you're saying, I've already seen in the medical literature. I've seen in the newest studies. But you're a real clinical uh, scientist, not just a heart surgeon, heart doctor. So when you're saying it, you're very respected. I mean, you've run some of these operations. So I don't want to put words in your mouth. But when you first got on, you were basically describing how the virus is basically the same thing as the vaccine, but worse, the vaccine's having a bigger effect than the virus magnified. Now, that was my layperson's interpretation. Uh, so I, I want you to clarify in case I'm wrong. I think you're on the right track. I am a clinical scientist. I have over 650 peer-reviewed publications in the National Library of Medicine, it's probably in the top echelon of academic physicians in the world. I have 51 publications, part of an author block or in a research group on COVID-19, including the two seminal papers on how to treat COVID-19. I can tell you, I've reviewed thousands of other reports like you have, and everybody has become, in a sense, a virologist or an epidemiologist. Everyone has an opinion. We're holding live events now, X, where we have between 500 and 5,000 people coming to actually go over PowerPoint slides with speakers explaining the science of COVID-19. Where are the medical schools? Where are the public health agencies? Where are the other individuals to explain to the world what's going they on? They tell us we're not supposed to ask questions. That's not scientific. Well, I can tell you, because the spike protein is the damaging part of the respiratory infection, and because the vaccines we now understand give a very strong dose of the spike protein to the human body, they are the one and the same. The viral illness and the vaccine, the effect of the vaccine, effectively is the same in terms of these organ injury syndromes. That's the reason why long COVID syndrome looks so similar to the post-vaccine syndromes. Now, the majority of people who get the respiratory illness and the majority of people who get the vaccine do fine. They literally do fine. So we don't want to say, listen, it's doom and gloom for everybody who gets the infection or takes the vaccine. But for the small number of people who probably get an excessive or prolonged dose, they are injured. And I want everyone to understand they are similar. They are similar, whether you've taken the respiratory infection or whether you've taken the vaccine, it's possible you can be injured by the spike protein. But what you said as we went to break last segment, and again, I really want you to correct me if I'm wrong, of everything you've said, the big issue is they're coming with bi-yearly or yearly, quote, boosters, when all the evidence shows that's the real disaster, almost creating like some type of form of Merrick's disease in humans. I mean, I'm not saying that's what it is, but it sounds similar to the over-vaccination of chickens or something. Of everything you've said, what's the most important? The most important, I believe, is to stay away from the boosters. A lot of people took the vaccines December, January, February, March. Rates of vaccination in the United States plummeted in April when the news came out that people were dying after the vaccine. I'm telling you, the vaccine centers have been empty for months. The only thing that's moved people to take the vaccine is because they're forced into it because of mandates. 
People don't want to take the vaccine. You take the temperature of people on the street. Nobody wants these vaccine vaccine mandates. Nobody even knows who's who's making it's the making decision. them fighting mad. It's made our audience explode, which I'm not even happy about. I don't want to be right about all this. Well, listen. You know, we have we have uh, uh, meningococcal vaccine programs for children going to college, uh, young individuals. 20 million people take the meningococcal vaccine. I've never seen a protest over the meningococcal vaccine. I'm a doctor. I'm a cardiologist. I take the hepatitis B vaccine. I take the flu vaccine. When was the last time you saw a protest over hepatitis B vaccination? You don't see it. Why? I'll tell you, with meningococcal vaccine, we have our kids take it and they go to college. You know how many deaths there are with the meningococcal vaccine? Zero. That's the expectation. My expectation as a doctor with the COVID-19 vaccine program is zero deaths due to the vaccine. As we sit here today, the VAERS system has domestic and ex-U.S. reporting into our system. Over 17,000 people have died after the vaccine. 50% within 48 hours, 80% within a week. There's no other explanation in 86% of the cases. Papers by Rosa McLeckin support this. I am telling you, this is off the rails. We cannot allow another person to die after the vaccine. Doc, there's been a lot of quotes out there, but some were by those two top FDA scientists that were over vaccines that you know, quit a few months ago because they didn't like what Biden was saying he was going to do with booster shots and all the rest of that. I know you know filling the listeners in, but they were quoted. I don't remember which one, but but saying, look, they've already yellow slipped this vaccine in, in, in England, talking about Pfizer. This probably isn't even working. And they went on and said, if you keep doing this and do these boosters and go after kids, I'm paraphrasing what they said, you're going to discredit vaccines for generations. I know vaccines are real. I know it's real technology, like for tetanus, whatever. But if you have big pharma engaged in depopulation and Bill Gates running around saying he wants to kill everybody and now he's over our vaccines and then a bunch of people get sick. I mean, this is going to destroy the medical system. And, and so, again, what is the establishment thinking? People have lost a faith in our public health agencies and they've actually lost any trust in statements being made. This is very important. Public health officials have come out with a straight face and said the vaccines are safe and effective with no review of the data. We deserved a monthly report card of how the vaccines are doing with a straight face. They say they're safe and effective where we have basically mass failure of the vaccines, people getting sick. I've told you the data, 60% of people in the hospital right now with COVID-19 over age 65. Those are the high risk groups. These are Americans. They've been fully vaccinated over 17,000 deaths in our VAR system very tightly related to the injection of the vaccine products. And on about eight, about half of those are domestic. I can tell you both our um, Surgeon General and our head of the National Allergy and Immunology Branch on a straight face have come on TV with a straight face and said that the vaccine immunity is better than natural immunity. I can tell you as a doctor and a scientist, as someone who has a lot of authority in this field, Unquestionably, the natural immunity is robust, complete, and durable. The Brownstone Institute now has 102 supportive studies. The CDC has 41,000 vaccine failures. They don't have a single case of a failure of natural immunity. And when Senator Rand Paul, a doctor in his own right, says that on the Senate floor in a six-minute speech, YouTube bans it saying it's not officially certified by the UN or Fauci. Who died and made the UN and Fauci God? Well, I tell you, Ron Johnson has said, listen, I've had COVID-19 infection. I'm not taking the vaccine. Uh, Rand Paul has said, listen, I've had the infection. I've not taken the vaccine. I've been on with Sebastian Gorka, said he had the infection, recovered with hydroxychloroquine. He's not taking the vaccine. Why are these intelligent people not taking the vaccine? Because they know they have a negligible chance of ever getting COVID-19 infection again. 
SARS-CoV-2 is 90% homologous to SARS-CoV-1. We know the immunity there is robust and durable. This is very analogous to chickenpox. You get chickenpox once, you don't get it 16 times. Now, the only problem that we have is false positive testing. Well, after someone gets COVID-19 and you're done with it, my advice is never get another test because all we're going to do is possibly generate false positivity. Exactly. But, but, I mean, look at the Surgeon General. He said that, 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 oh, no, the shot's better than your immunity. That is a lie. And then John Oliver got up on TV and said, Alex Jones is saying and others are saying that there are cures for COVID-19. They do not exist. I was talking about the immune system. He goes on to say the immune system doesn't exist. No, I survived COVID. Uh, millions and millions of others have. Yes. I, so, so, so there is a cure. It's called my immune system. The natural immunity is what's going to bring us out of this. I can tell you it, it, the uh, alpha, beta and gamma variants, they are all sufficiently similar that the immunity protects against future variants. I personally had the alpha variant. I personally had it. I was in research, which I was supposed to do. I was sequenced. I have come face to face with Delta. In fact, I've made some videos with me, part of a documentary. I've had, I've had Delta snot all over me, Alex. I can't get Delta. I want people to understand. Once you've had COVID-19, you're done. In fact, people don't need masks. Our hospitals should let loved ones in to see their family members when they are COVID recovered. If there's a COVID recovered family member, they deserve to see their sick patient in the hospital who've had COVID-19. We are still making seniors in senior homes quarantine when there's an outbreak of COVID-19, even if they're recovered. The COVID recovered people need full privileges. Diana Harshberger, Tennessee, uh, uh, House, Tennessee representative member, has proposed legislation demanding that we recognize natural immunity. The CDC has had demand letters into them demanding recognition of natural immunity. The naturally immune need full exemption from any type Absolutely. of Absolutely. Dr. Peter McCullough, thank you so much. America Out Loud. Com. You've got your super popular show as well. Thank you for coming in studio. And a little bird told me you might be on a big podcast soon. Hopefully. We'll see what happens. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank you to your wife and everybody else. All right. I'm going to come back with a bunch of final news in the segment. And, and then we've got the fourth hour coming up. But I got a lot of stuff. But I want to just thank you all for tuning in. This is life-saving information. So now, hey, we've done our job. Please do your job, folks. Take this archive and share it everywhere. We'll be right back.